Well, good morning again. Do you join me in prayer? Jesus, we come before you to hear your word, and as, as has been said throughout our worship, your word is alive. It is teaching us even now. And as these words from Jesus come into our hearts, we ask that you would speak to each of us in the ways that we need to hear you. May the words of my mouth and the things that we consider in each of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So my wife and I had just started dating. This was quite a while ago. And we were at dinner somewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but my sister was there. And my sister's sitting next to Jill. And the meal's going along and things are going great. Then all of a sudden, I spilled something. Like I was eating a chip and some salsa got all over my shirt or something like that. And so my sister turns to my soon-to-be wife and with a deep sigh, reaches into her purse and pulls out a Tide wipe. You know these things that'll clean up stains? Hands it to my wife and says, you're going to need a lot of these. (laughs) I'm known in my family as somewhat of a klutz. If you've been around me, you know that I call it my spiritual gift of spilling things. If something can be dropped and broken, you can come find me. I'm happy to do that. If it can be spilled or smashed, I'm also an expert in that field. I'm just klutzy. Now notice how I'm mentioning all of this after I held baby James. (laughs) Babies are somehow impervious to this whole klutziness thing. I got three of them, and they've all survived. But I would say that klutziness just is, it's one of my vulnerabilities. It's one of those places where I'm just not good. Vulnerable creatures need the good shepherd's care and provision. If you're in business, think about the market that you serve in, think about the particular field that you're in, and think about market vulnerabilities unique to your field. When I was growing up, uh, the evening news would always have the price of oil up because I grew up in Houston around the energy industry. That is a market vulnerability. When we lived in Colorado, we learned that uh, for agriculture, a late freeze can be something that really messes things up if you're a cherry farmer or a peach farmer. If you've got a freeze in April or May, you're going to miss a really key part of that season. There are vulnerabilities in each of our marketplaces, wherever we serve if we're in business. Vulnerable creatures need the good shepherd's care and his protection. James Birchman is a healthy baby boy. And he got a great mama and a great daddy, and he's partying with daddy in the cry room. But like any kid, he is vulnerable. He can't care for himself yet. He can't brush his teeth. He can't make a meal. He can't drive a car. So he is completely, utterly dependent upon those around him. And as a society, we have agreed that there are laws that need to be in place to protect the most vulnerable, vulnerable populations among our culture. And James falls into one of those vulnerable populations. Vulnerable creatures need the good shepherd's care and his protection. Sheep are on the cover of your bulletin today. A sheep. And sheep are defenseless. We talked about this last week. If you're a sheep, you're kind of like the kicker in the NFL. You have no hope. Like you're going to get mowed down without somebody protecting you. Sheep are easily led astray. They easily go off course. And I want to mention this as kind of a final point about vulnerability. I think we can relate to the sheep and how we wander. W-A-N-D-E-R. How our minds wander in particular. Let's say the things that I just mentioned about being a klutz, about market vulnerability, about all that, that's, that's not doing it for you. Let me make this case. 
Let's talk about something that we all do that reveals a place of vulnerability in each of our lives, and I'm talking about daydreaming. Now, daydreaming is often an innocuous thing. If you daydream about getting a new minivan, well, you're probably like in my stage of life, and that's not necessarily harmful. But where your mind goes when you're at rest, when you got nothing else to do, if you ride the bus to work, what do you daydream about when you're on the bus? If you watch a lot of soccer games and your kids are running around in the mud for the 10 millionth time and you're freezing cold, what does your mind wander to? What do you do when you're in those places of solitude and nothing else is drawing out your attention? That's the kind of daydreaming that I'm talking about. I just finished a great book from Tim Keller called Counterfeit Gods, and he shared a very convicting observation about daydreams. And this is our entry point into this idea of, being needing, of needing a shepherd, of being sheep. Keller writes this, Archbishop William Temple once said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. Isn't that interesting? Your religion is what you do with your solitude. In other words, the true God of your heart, the thing that rests in the state of power in your heart, is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding your attention. What do you enjoy daydreaming about? What occupies your mind when you have nothing else to think about? Do you develop potential scenarios for career advancement? Do you dream about material goods, such as your dream home? Do you dream about a relationship with a particular person? And one or two daydreams is not an indication of idolatry. But ask yourself, rather, what do you habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of your heart? That is where we wander, and that is where we are like sheep. Is that every one of us has those places where we let our hearts and our minds wander, and we seek comfort from the thing that we're thinking about. Like many of you, I daydream about all kinds of things, but if what Keller says is true, then my darkest daydreams, my daydreams about power and about acceptance and about never having to worry about money or material things, those all hold a place in my heart that they were never meant to. I look to them for joy, and that pathway always leads to more darkness and more death. And Maybe you can think of a daydream that falls into that category for you, too. The point I'm trying to make, and no one's going to be comfortable when I say this, is that we are sheep. We are easily led astray, and we are in need of the care of the Good Shepherd. We're led astray by our daydreams, not all of them, but the ones that we use, like Keller said, to locate our joy. We're vulnerable creatures in need of a Good Shepherd. And one of the beautiful things about following Jesus is when things like that are said, you don't have to pull back from them. In Jesus Christ, our identity as sheep is actually a good thing. It is actually freeing in Christ to live into this identity. And the reason for that is this. When we know who Jesus is, we can better understand who we are. When we know who Jesus is, who he is in each of our lives, we can better understand who we are. I would even argue that is the best way to understand who we are. It is only in relationship to Jesus Christ, with him as our center point, him as the sun around which we orbit, our plumb line, that we can truly orient our identity in healthy ways. I'll share a quick example from Isaiah, just to kind of get our thoughts going biblically. This is one of the Old Testament prophecies that spoke of Jesus long before he came on the scene. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, He, Messiah, the one who is to come, will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. 
If we can at least entertain the idea, just for a moment, that we are like sheep, that our identity very much aligns with sheep, and that we wander and that we're helpless, then this description from Isaiah is the kind of care that we need and that we can expect from Jesus Christ. If we can ask the question, what is it that the good shepherd does? You see it right here in the text, and we'll see it more in our text from John that Phil read for us. The good shepherd is someone who provides sustenance, who keeps us alive, really. He is the one who carries us through trial, does so by carrying us close to his heart. And he is the one whose leadership is ultimately gentle. Ultimately gentle. And we need this because when we know who Jesus is, we can better understand who we really are. How does that land in my life? That means that my klutziness is not the end of me. Like I might get embarrassed and I might, you know, sort of turn red, but I'm not crushed by my klutziness. I'm not crushed by my dark daydreams. When I fail at something, that failure is not the end of me. And if you're facing failure right now, it is not the end of you. It is not the end of you. Because when we know who Jesus Christ is, we can better understand that in those moments, we are his. We are the sheep of his pasture. So we're sheep. We're weak. We're led astray. We need the good shepherd to care for us. We find our identity in Christ, and then we know that's security. Before we look at our primary text from John 10, I want to just do a quick refresher on our context. Jesus' audience, just like last week, is this group of religious leaders and scribes called the Pharisees. And they were people whose daydreams, likely, we don't know, were focused on growing their own power and influence through using other people. This is important to note because this was not God's plan. God had always planned for there to be leaders, shepherds, people who would care for his people, but he never intended them for, the, for them to wind up like the Pharisees did. Ezekiel chapter 34 is another prophecy that illustrates this by talking about shepherds. And these are not kind words to those who sit in leadership. And if you sit in leadership, I want you to hear these words and really hear them in your heart as you think about your own leadership. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? It's already been inverted. It's already gotten messed up. You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. You have not strengthened the weak, you've not healed the sick, you've not bound up the injured, you've not brought back the strayed, you have not sought the lost, but with force and harshness you have ruled them. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with no one to seek them out. Thus says the Lord God, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths so that they may not be food for them. The way I would summarize those statements is simple. That's self-serving leadership. That is someone who's supposed to be leading the sheep and instead living off the backs of the sheep, living off by exploiting the sheep. The people God charged with leading his people, in this case the Pharisees, were instead using the sheep for their own gain, and in so doing, they were totally missing the point of leadership in the first place. Now, I mentioned a moment ago to think about this if you sit in a leadership role. I would challenge any of us who kind of took that thought and went, okay, I can opt out, like I'm not in a leadership role. Every one of us has positions of influence. Every one of us has the ability to speak to someone else in a way that blesses or curses them. In that case, you are in a position of leadership. 
So I want to draw all of our attention to this, but especially if you have a title, especially if you sit in a formal role of leadership, listen very carefully to these words. During the last couple of weeks, I was home, I was able to be on paternity leave to kind of hold our baby and hang around, and of course, because I have an active mind, I started to think about things, and I started to think about my own leadership. And I had time to reflect, and it was really good. I got to reflect on things like, how have things gone well at Bethany Eastside? How could things do better around here? How can we continue to move forward as a church? And then the oh-so-fun question, where have I failed? Anyone who sits in a position of leadership has to ask uncomfortable questions like that of ourselves. Otherwise, we're not leading. We're living off the sheep. We're not serving them. One of the key cogs in that reflection exercise was asking myself again and again, what's my part? What do I own in this whole thing that has played out one way or another? What do I own, especially in the midst of my failure? And this is hard, but this has helped me see where my leadership, like the Pharisees, like the shepherds that Ezekiel is talking about, could become, and even at times has become, self-serving. I am capable of doing what Ezekiel described. Are you? When I avoid conflict, when I back down, a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time, it's to serve myself. When I get overwhelmed, my tendency is just to kind of shut down and back off. A lot of the time when I'm doing that, it's to serve myself. My question for all of us who lead is, are you serving yourself or your flock? Are you serving yourself or are you serving your flock? Whatever that is, your customers. If you're a teacher, it's your students. If you're a principal, it's the entire staff at your school. If you're the primary caregiver in your home, it's your children and your neighbors and your family. My question for all of us who lead is, are you taking advantage of your position? Or are you getting down there with the flock and serving them? Now let's go back to our primary text for an example of someone who is definitely in it for the wrong reasons. This guy is in it for the money. He puts himself first. He is the hired hand. Turn with me to John chapter 10. I'll read verses 12 and 13, but don't worry. We'll come back to 11. 12 goes like this. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. In crisis, or really just kind of within his normal duties as a hired hand, he will bail on the sheep. He will get out of Dodge as fast as he can. A Bible commentator I read this week put it this way. The hired hand leaves the sheep in the lurch. Leaves the sheep in the lurch. The Pharisees were doing this. They had fallen into this trap by being moral and good and excellent religious people, but they had no stake in the game. They wanted to build up their name. They wanted to build up the name of their organization. They wanted the group that they were a part of to be known and revered and respected. When the hired hand bails out, Jesus points out in the text, he leaves behind a leadership vacuum. And what steps in? What fills the void? It's destruction. The sheep are either consumed by the wolf or they're so consumed by fear that they run off into the wilderness where they can't thrive. And why does all this happen? Look at verse 13. A hired hand does not care for the sheep. A hired hand does not care for the sheep. So what do we do with this? If you're a leader, I encourage you to take some time and reflect on your leadership. 
Every one of us has places where we are like the hired hand, where we just opt out. Take a look at your own leadership and look at places where you're doing it right, where you're putting your flock first, where you're putting the needs of customers, putting the needs of your family first, and then assess where you're stepping out in front of them. And ask yourself the really hard question. What's the part that I'm playing in this? What's my responsibility for the step that I'm taking? Name your part. Turn and repent from it and seek what all people really need, which is the good shepherd and the ways that he leads. We're creatures who need the good shepherd's care and protection. We need it so bad. We live in a time and a place where it is really easy to wander, where our daydreams can take us adrift. And in our leadership, it is very easy to put ourselves and not the needs of the flock first. So what's our remedy? Like, how do we fix this? It is not a series of steps or rules or best practices. It's not a bestseller. It's a person. Like we talked about last week, the person is our entry point into where we need to be. So we'll begin by looking at John chapter 10, verse 11. It's a great line, and it's actually two, different sen- two separate sentences in one verse. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. These two sentences, if you look at them closely, function like a subject and an object. The subject is the first sentence, I am the good shepherd. Okay, what does that mean? How do you describe that? What's the job description for that? Look at the second sentence. Very simple job description. The good shepherd lays down his or her life for the sheep. Therefore, who is a good shepherd? One who lays down his or her life for their sheep, for the sake of others. That sounds nice. What does that look like? Like, how could we possibly bring that into each of our lives? How can you give your life away and still have a life? Isn't that a paradox? Isn't that an impossibility? Well, when we look at some of the ways that Jesus talked about it, it can't be a paradox. It can't be an impossibility because he did it. Both several times in Matthew... Jesus says these two phrases, these phrases that are very similar. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. John 14, 19 says this, Because I live, you also will live. If you give up your life, it won't be because of what you have. It'll be because of what I give to you, and you will live. And those are promises. Ephesians 5 says it a little bit differently. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I say all of this because this is Jesus' upside-down kingdom, and this is the power of the gospel. This is not the power of people to figure all this out, to write out an action plan for how I'm going to give up my life for more people. It is the upside-down kingdom. To save your life, you've got to give it away. The way to truly thrive in your role as a leader, as an owner of your business, as a person caring for students in a school, is through love to give up your life for the sake of others, to lay it down. Jesus goes on to say in our John passage that this sacrifice, this giving up of our lives, this is where our knowledge is where the rubber meets the road. The knowledge of the Father, that's what informs this process. Look at John 10 again with me. Verses 14 and 15 describe this relationship. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That sounds like a relationship. That doesn't sound like a series of precepts or a bunch of things we have to memorize. That sounds like someone that's alive and speaking into my life. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
one of my favorite moments in all the scriptures, and I think this informs this moment, is when Jesus is baptized and the heavens open up and the Father says these incredible words over him that those who follow Jesus Christ can receive as well. This is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. That was the security, the foundation of Jesus' identity so that he could live, so that he could do these things like giving up his life for the sake of others. He gave up his life so that we could have life. He gave up his position as shepherd of the sheep so he could become the shepherd for humankind. He gave up his status as God's treasured son so that we could become God's treasure. Not because we cleaned ourselves up, not because we made ourselves look good or worthy, but because his worthy was given to us. His worthiness was given to us on the cross. There's one more thing about this love that is really convicting to me. By the way, if you're feeling convicted, like jump on in. Like this is how I've been feeling all week. So welcome. John 10:16 says this. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Picture this. There's a shepherd on a hillside. There's a bunch of sheep in front of him. He knows which sheep are his. He knows there's some other sheep from another guy in there. And if he sees someone else's sheep getting into trouble, if the shepherd truly loves his sheep, what's he going to do? It ain't even his sheep, but he's going to go get them, right? He's going to go help them because he loves sheep. He's kind of indifferent as to whether they're his sheep or someone else's sheep, different flock, my flock, one side of the road, the other side of the road. The incredible love of the good shepherd calls us outward. And so for those of us that would say, I'm comfortable with this identity of being a sheep. I'm good. I like being in Jesus's flock. How do you feel about the other flocks? How do you feel about the good shepherd looking at another flock and saying, I see some of mine in there. I see them. They're at that high school. They're your neighbors. They're your coworker who drags in every day with a frown on his face, and you're going, what is this guy's deal? What if that's your moment? What if that's the place God has given you to say, I just want to love this person? No strings attached. Jesus was able to do this extraordinarily well. In Luke's gospel, he's sitting around, I love this irony, he's sitting around talking about lost sheep with a bunch of lost sheep. In Luke chapter 15, he has this dialogue with Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, you name it. And how do you think these people felt when he was saying to them, this is how I feel about lost sheep, this rabbi, this teacher. How do you think they felt? Listen to these words. He told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? When he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. You're sitting in front of Jesus. You know you've lived a rough life. And here he is saying to you, I'm putting you on my shoulders. I'm bringing you home. How about that? How about that as an invitation into the eternal kingdom? How about that as an invitation into the flock where we actually belong, where our daydreams can become good dreams? where our hearts can be focused on the things that are going to bring glory to Christ and fullness to our lives. Jesus has not stopped saying stuff like this. It wasn't like he made this statement about lost sheep and then he disappeared and went to Hawaii for a little while. He has never stopped seeking the lost sheep. If you're a Christ follower, neither do we. 
Neither do we. He is sending us to help do this. As broken as we are, as messed up as we are, as bad at leadership as we are, and I'll be the first to put myself in that line, he's still using us. He's still sending us out to reach the lost. If you've ever been to a funeral or memorial service, you've probably heard Psalm 23. It's one of the most quoted psalms and the most recognizable ones in all of Scripture. And it begins with, say it with me if you know this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I want all of us to take that simple sentence and turn it into an opportunity for confession. And this is how we'll finish our time together and how we'll prepare ourselves to come to the table of Christ. And I just want to mention this. We come to the table broken and flawed and imperfect, and the table is for folks who follow Jesus Christ, even just the tiniest bit of faith. This table is for you. And it's not perfect faith, but we confess before we come to the table not to clean ourselves up and make ourselves worthy, but to better receive the worthiness that Jesus has given to us. So take a moment and write this in your bulletin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just write that out. If you've got any space in there, go for it. That first line of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then below it, I want you to take that sentence and drop two words out of it. Drop the word Lord, so put a blank space, the blank is my shepherd. And then after I shall, put a blank there. So the blank is my shepherd, therefore I blank. And the reason I'm asking us to do this is because there are idols, there are passions, there are desires, there are daydreams in each of our lives that take the place of the shepherd, that we listen to more than we should, that we give joy, that we assign value to. I know I do this. Think back to that Tim Keller quote. Do you need to write down what you daydream about? Do you need to write down the thing that occupies your mind every moment of the day? Because that is what's holding a place of power in your life and in mine. And now's our opportunity to hold that out before God. Let me give us just a couple of examples to get our brains going, and then we'll take time to reflect. The market is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall always bow to money. My family is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall bend to my kids every whim. My body is my shepherd, therefore I shall obsess over every pound and every wrinkle. Fill in those blanks. Do so as an act of confession. Hold them out to God, knowing that God receives those with joy and blesses us and forgives us when we call upon his name. So I want to invite the band to join me back up on stage here. And as they're coming up, as they begin to play some music, take a few moments and reflect. We'll be silent together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Each of us needs the shepherd to take greater honor and greater power in each of our lives. Take a moment and reflect, and then we will come to the Lord's table. Please join me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for the chance to reflect for just a moment. Would you hear us now as we write, as we think silently, as we pray, as we ask for your help to put shepherds, you, the good shepherd, where you rightfully belong. And help us as we remove those idols, those places that we have put other things into where they do not belong. Hear us as we reflect silently.
Jesus, as we step into this time of communion, of fellowship at your table, we thank you that your church unites around the table of Jesus Christ. May this time be used for your glory. Set this time apart, set these simple elements apart. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.